Welcome to the Breaking Health Podcast, a series of discussions with the most disruptive CEOs and leaders in digital health. Hey everyone, Tom Salami here. This is the Breaking Health Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Steve Krupa is off this week. He'll be back next week with another great tale of innovation. But I had the chance to speak with Keith Figlioli, who is a venture partner at Long River Ventures, a firm outside of Boston. It's uh, it's an interesting uh, growth equity kind of venture style firm that's uh, been investing in healthcare IT or digital health, if you want to call it nowadays, for a long, long time. And uh, Keith joined after uh, an extensive career at Premier and Eclipsis and some of the larger information players in healthcare. And uh, in this conversation, we got into that uh, move from uh, from larger companies to, to venture investor, venture capitalists. What drove him to do that? What did he learn? What lessons did he learn at uh, companies like Premier, where he assisted with the enormous IPO, where he helped ramp up their uh, operations in India, where he oversaw integration of several critical acquisitions? He uh, brought a lot to the table to Long River, and uh, at the end of the conversation, we'll get into the kind of companies he's looking for, including one that uh, I think sounds very, very cool. So before we get into this, don't forget the Digital Health Innovation Summit is happening on November 30th. Keith is on the advisory board. He'll actually be leading a panel that we'll talk about at the end of the podcast. So we hope you will join us there. Go to healthag.com to register if you haven't done so already. Had a couple of great announcements uh, over the uh, over the last week. We'll have former GE CEO Jeff Immelt there, and uh, Dr. Troyan Brennan of CVS will be uh, talking about that company's interesting path forward. So it already was a big day before those later editions. So it's going to be a, 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 an even greater day on November 30th in Boston. I do hope you'll join us. And don't forget, you can uh, save a little bit of money by using your breaking health code. It's actually BHealth, the letter B in the word health. Just type that in and you'll save yourself a couple hundred bucks off the registration. Now let's get into this conversation with Keith Figlioli of Long River. All right, Keith Figlioli, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Got a whole line of questions for you, but the first one is a simple one. Why on earth would a nice guy like you want to be a venture capitalist? You had a, a great career in uh, in operations at some of the, the best known larger companies in healthcare, including Premier, and uh, and now you've uh, you've settled in on a, a, a very cool job at uh, at Long River Ventures. But I'm sure it's been a, an interesting transition so far. But what uh, what led you to uh, to want to move from what you're doing to what you're currently doing? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I um, it's funny. Uh, people ask me this question all the time. <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, venture capital is always, for some reason or not, and maybe because I grew up in a family business, a uh, small family business, it's sort of been on my bucket list. What kind of business and, was it? I'm sorry, you, you cut out there for just a second. Uh, it was a family business, uh, specifically in retail. Okay. So I grew up, uh, my family had a business for 40 plus years in their uh, lineages and their generations. So interesting little business, but you know you learn a lot. You sit around the dinner, dinner table and you talk small business talk, you know, as you're growing up, and uh, it kind of attaches to you. I was joking. I don't know how I spent 20 plus years in these larger companies <laughs> after that, um, but uh, always had that in the back of my mind. And so um, after spending a lot of time 
and companies like Eclipsis and Premier, and then early on in my career, spent uh, some time with Sapient, um, you know, really uh, had a view of what the big businesses were, having bought a lot of companies, actually mm-hmm. smaller companies, and then bringing the entrepreneurs into these larger corporations, um, I think uh, was a really interesting uh, learning, at least for me. And then I always wanted to be on the other side. I always wanted to sort of experience what it's like when you don't have you know, thousands of people and big infrastructures, but really little to nothing in some of these earlier stage companies where you start growing it up and you really see things develop. I mean, by by design and, and sort of what's in my heart is I'm a builder. Mm-hmm. I know everywhere I've ever gone, even the big companies, I've always built things. Uh, I've been uh, pretty demonstrable in that in a lot of my roles. How, how did you then get into uh, into this path and the string of, of working at larger companies? What did you intend to do when you uh, when you got out of college? <laughs> Yeah, so out of undergrad, uh, out of all things, I wanted to be a marketer. Um, And I started out doing some work as a consultant for Sapien here in Boston and rode that wave and saw this crazy growth path of at the time was a big consulting firm. It was small at the time, but became a very big consulting firm and a big player here in town and ultimately in the globe. Um, and was lucky enough at like 23, 24 to be hip to hip with Jerry Graham and Stuart Moore and learn firsthand from two co-CEOs of that place, you know, how to run a business. Um, and went from there and did a very similar thing out in the West Coast at a smaller company um, that was similar to what Sapient was doing, sort of a consulting firm, and looked around and just looked at healthcare and went, I have to get into this. I have to apply sort of technology enabling automation because I had worked in, uh, obviously consulting, you touch a lot of industries, but fintech, CPG, insurance, uh, high tech, and healthcare. And then healthcare just sort of stuck for me. Um, and I had a, a neuroscience uh, minor degree in undergrad, and that, that was sort of a thing as well for me. And there was always something there for healthcare. And so then I just pivoted and spent almost the last 20 years on that and got lucky enough to get a corporate development job at Eclipsis as my first kind of entree. Uh, and then did a bunch of stuff at Eclipsis as that business grew up and then ultimately got sold to Allscript. So uh, started in corporate development, uh, then built an India operation, put about 500 people on the ground in India, came back, ran all product for them, and then sort of saw the big data side come and got recruited out to run Premier's informatics business unit. So wow. it's been a wild ride, um, but you know, really wouldn't trade it for anything. I've been very, very lucky. Uh, in terms of the steps I've made in my career. So what was the was the appeal of healthcare more uh, that this is an industry that that needs help uh, can doing what I do or was it more of a um, uh, healthcare is saving lives it's helping people that's how I want to spend my time. Uh, a little bit of both but really the latter. I mean I you know one of my number one interview questions for anybody that ever uh, interviews with me is why do you want to be in healthcare? Mhm. And if someone doesn't come back with a very strong answer of having some sort of um, core reason or core belief of wanting to help folks, uh, you know, it's a very hard industry, I think, as we all know. Um, and that is a big thing that motivates me. I'd say the other thing is I was lucky enough uh, when uh, a lot of people probably don't remember this, but I do, when Per Se spun out of a, uh, an investment holding group called Metaphys. And I happened to be doing some work for them early in my career, and I was just I was just amazed. I was amazed at the automation that was happening on the clinical side, the clinical workflow side, uh, the scheduling side back then. And this is all pre-MU, pre-big players, um, and it was just a fast something I got caught up in and got very fascinated by. And, and sort of the combination of those two things really stuck, and that's why I've done what I've done for the last last 
number of years. Do you find that that sense of mission exists in, in everyone you've, almost everyone you've encountered working at some of the larger companies? I would think that with some of these bigger companies like Premier, that perhaps at some point it just becomes another company. Uh, is that true? Or do people somewhat hold somewhat of a mission in, the, in their hearts? So I think it eclipses. It was mixed. I'd say at Premier it was not because, as, as, as you probably know, um, Premier is owned by the health systems sure. at a majority level. And so the unique part about that environment, why it was such a great experience, and I and still cherish it to this day, uh, is that everybody was there for the right reason. Mm-hmm. I mean, everybody was there, and that was our core belief. That's the core thing we opened up our meetings. Even when we took 25% of the equity and, and went public, you know, still majority share by the owners. You had 10 of the 14 board members that were still the largest health systems. So it was from the board governance down to every individual employee about why we were there and why we existed. Uh, because they really were incubated. I mean, Premier was, and, and the heritage companies, because there was three heritage companies that created Premier, really incubated out of the health systems. Mm-hmm. And so I think that cultural attribute never left the company and still still exists today. Uh, yeah, and I don't think people uh, understand that. I think they, they don't believe necessarily that folks in healthcare do have, uh, are guided by at least that, that core principle. I'm curious as to the the uh, experience you had in in India. What was uh, can you expand a bit on that? What was that like? How long were you there for? What was your what were you tasked to do? Sure. So um, we we had a board mandate at the time to sort of think through a different cost infrastructure for uh, Eclipsis, and it wasn't just on the development side. It was kind of holistically, um, as as most folks may know. I mean, Eclipsis was a pretty heavy roll up, and so when Andy Eckert took over, um, you know, he and I sort of put together a plan and the board put together the plan to sort of think through how do we change the cost infrastructure? How do we maybe consolidate some pieces and consolidate some opportunities over in India? We had bought, uh, and I was to the tail end of my corporate development role there, uh, and we had bought a, a small list company, a lab information uh, services company, a software company, sorry. Um, and they had about 50 people on the ground over in India. And so we took that as sort of the beachhead. Mm-hmm. And we spent the next two years sort of building out and working through um, two different locations over in India and putting a, the entire management team on board. We brought a, ended up recruiting the entire management team and brought a guy on from BMC Software that was running their India captive. Um, and it really kind of just steamrolled from there. I mean, it was the, the craziest experience of my life, I would say. I put two weeks on here in Boston and then two weeks on over in India for just under two years. Wow. Um, and we just, you know, it was just a wild time. <laughs> it was an absolute learning experience from, you know, walking into a country that you know nothing about, trying to figure out how to put uh, a set of operational functions down there and the culture, and then translating that back to the operations here in the States and going and working with each one of the functional line executives and saying, hey, this is what we've got over there. This is what we can do over there. Mm-hmm. You know, how do you want to think about translating um, and enhancing what you're doing? And that's still, I mean, a big, big backbone of Allscripts today. Allscripts had a little bit of infrastructure over there, but I think when that deal went through, uh, I had left right before that deal happened. Um, but uh, those two pieces came together, and they have a huge presence over there still today. Did you bring lessons back from India that you could apply here that made you better doing what you do here? Or is it, uh, are they just two different uh, circumstances uh, overall? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I think, you know, that was really my operational baptism. Mm-hmm. I mean, I really, you know, I really spent a lot of time in the early years on marketing and sales and business development and then corporate development doing deals. 
And then that was sort of my foray into really getting deep and dark on operations. <laughs> so I brought a lot of lessons back just, just natively from a management standpoint about what it takes truly to scale things because mm-hmm. we went from 50 to almost 500 um, and what that takes. I think the other attributes is just the, um, the focus on people. I think India is such a different environment. And, um, you know, I can remember waking up on Saturday mornings and playing cricket with our team. And that was much more important than hanging out in the office with them uh, during the week. So, you know, the subtleties a little bit I brought back into my management style, too, about, you know, sort of how to manage people and how to really get to know people. What, as a VC, you're, you're charged with, and uh, an investing company, evaluating the management team. Uh, what makes, from, from that lesson, what makes a good operator? What are the qualities? And perhaps it's different for a level like a, a, for someone working at a premier than it is at a startup. Guessing, I'm guessing it is, but let me ask, what, what makes a good operator? Is it a, a personality type? Is it just a philosophy? What is it? I think it's different. I mean, I, you know, I think there's two aspects of it. You know, obviously in the earlier stage companies, the, the leadership quotient isn't as broad because you don't have as many people, mm-hmm. but I still think it innately has to be there um, because not only you, you know, you're, you're more, you're more like a venture capitalist, right? You're more in the network effect mentality where you're influencing a lot of people that are on your payroll, uh, including your investors and things to that degree. Um, and so to me, you know, I've always had this uh, archetype in my head, the people that I love is, is the people that can be storytellers and the people can, can think very macro and wide, but then the next moment can jump down into the nitty gritty details. Mm-hmm. And at the startup land, as you know, you have to do that. I mean, in one minute, you have to be, you know, you're reviewing a wireframe if you happen to be a software company or in the lines of code um, and making really hardcore decisions. And the next minute, you're up talking to a set of C-suites if you're a provider-focused company or a payer-focused company, kind of understanding their environment. How do you translate what they're going through into whatever offering you're building? Mm-hmm. And and I don't think that's much different at the larger companies. So if I, you know, pan back to my premier role, you know, I had four or five different business lines within my unit, but... They, each one of them were their own little business to a certain degree um, and of a certain size. You know, we, we ran a lot of business, but, you know, the, some of these were much smaller businesses. Mm-hmm. Um, and you saw a lot of the same parallels that you see that I've seen over the last year sort of uh, moving into venture capital. Interesting. And, and while at Premier, uh, you said you, you assisted in, uh, in the IPO it held. What was, uh, what was that experience like? Oh, that was even more fun. We spent three years. <laughs> was, <laughs> so, was that a sarcastic more fun or, or genuine more fun? No, it was fun. It was, you know, everything's, I view everything as a learning experience, even though, you know, in times it's tough. Uh, no different this past year in venture has been absolutely a learning experience. But, you know, in our IPO, the, again, the difference with Premier is, you know, most folks go public and they have, you know, a set of shareholders they have to go out and do a roadshow with. We actually had to first convince 188 health system owners across this country that selling 25% of the equity was a good idea. Wow. And so that was a year and a half process. And Susan DeVore, Mike Alcar, CEO, CEO, myself, and a few others, Terry Lynn, the head of corporate development at the time, you know, we were everywhere. Um, and then the, the second part of that, once we had consent, was then going out and trying to explain the story to Wall Street that, frankly, I still don't think Wall Street understands the premier story. Um, but trying to explain it to him because we had this, you know, this, this big uh, group purchasing organization that also had some private labor business that also had especially pharmacy business. Mm-hmm. Then we had this huge informatics business, you know, probably second to Optum in the country in terms of provider-focused information. 
uh, and then we had this third business, which was sort of this performance improvement consulting. So you're, you know, you had this mix of things that we were trying to describe to Wall Street, and that took another year and a half. Mm-hmm. So end to end, it was sort of a three-year process. Um, and then, you know, the fund is you, you go public, and then you have to manage it. Here's <laughs> <which is laughs> your reward. Bam. Yeah, is your reward. You get to manage by the, the quarterly uh, TikTok. Um, and, uh, you know, that was probably more difficult than the roadshow. Uh, that was sort of my second stint at sort of being part of running a, a public company with, with obviously Eclipse being public as well. What was, your, uh, what was your sales pitch to the hospitals? Was it just uh, that this will give us access to capital we need to do a better job? Yeah, if you remember back then. Um, what, year, what year was this? Why don't you remind us? That was, I want to say... Did we go out in the fall of 13, I want to say? Mm-hmm. Okay. I think that's right. I could be wrong by year, but I think that's right. Um, but you got to remember, that was sort of the height of value-based care. Uh, you know, hype, the circle, everything was going on. Um, you know, we were one of the first people to sort of drive a large-scale collaborative around ACO development. And, you know, the board was pretty fixated. You got a lot of health system owners on what's going to happen. How is the system going to be disrupted? And if the system's going to be disrupted, who's going to better engine for us than Premier as an innovation agent to go out there and think through different scenarios. And so with that, that takes capital. I mean, we built that entire business and people before me built the entire business at Premier on about $25 million a year in capital. Wow. I mean, little to nothing. And you're talking about, you know, a group that's you know, north of a billion now. I mean, it was a crazy exercise what they did. Um, and so capital was definitely needed. Um, and so while the GPO spun off a lot of cash, you know, we've returned a lot of that money. So, I mean, even in the IPO, if we raised, uh, I think, uh, a little over $850 million or so in the $850 million range, you know, we returned almost the majority of that cash directly back to the health system owners kind of day two after the IPO. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the majority of the owners understood the value prop. I think some of them were nervous about what it would do to the company. Um because, you know, you're going from what is you – know, it's kind of like a visa story. You're kind of a co-op type of an approach mm-hmm. and moving more towards this kind of more for-profit public entity. But the, 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 the important thing is the governance hasn't changed. It's still a controlled entity, and it's still majority controlled by the health systems, um, but has now a lot more leeway to um, invest in various angles. And your memory was spot on, by the way, September 26th. 2013. So you passed our test. Well, that's good. My, my memory <laughs> hasn't been good lately, so that's good. <laughs> I, I hear that. So, and then, well, also at and it was again valued at 760 million dollars, which is amazing. Also at Premier, you uh, you mentioned the the acquisitions you you oversaw it was C uh, City Theradoc, uh, Aperic. I'm probably mangling some of this. I don't remember them as well as you would. But what was the uh, what was the experience like of bringing you meant you referenced it earlier, but bringing those those entities, those people uh, into your, uh, into Premier? Yeah, I mean, a lot of lessons from Eclipsis because we did a lot of acquisitions as well, and, and I learned a lot there, frankly, what, frankly, in some aspects of what not to do. Mm-hmm. And so I spent, you know, I spent seven years at Premier. The first four years was 100% organic. Um, didn't do any deals. And really just built a development group there, put a software development culture into Premier, which wasn't exist, took three different disparate groups and created one unifying technology group to do that. And, um, use that as the baseline and we had a platform that we created called Premier Connect and use that as the baseline by which we would integrate various things. And so one of our first acquisitions was a small company called Medius, which is all around data acquisition. It was kind of more like an, an Apple-like acquisition where you're acquiring people in tech. Um, kind of seamlessly rotated that into the platform and then we started moving up sort of the food chain, if you will, into more modular add-on analytical 
capabilities. Um, whether that was a company like Aparic out of Raleigh that added a cloud-based ERP extension to what we were doing in supply chain, or that was a big deal like we did our biggest deal, which was CE City, which was all about uh, ambulatory and kind of post-acute regulatory environment where Premier is so focused on the inpatient, we wanted to complement that on the continuum with a lot of the things that CE City done because they're the largest uh, submitter of PQRS reporting for physicians across the country and now into APMs and um, MIPS. So we, we kind of were very thoughtful. It's not perfect. None of these acquisitions are ever perfect. The, the research always tells you. But, you know, we were trying to be very thoughtful about how we brought people in and then more importantly, how we slotted them into various management roles. I mean, I I rotated my management team in terms of structure probably three to f- almost four times over the seven years I was there because we were growing so rapidly, but we also were just changing in terms of what we needed. Interesting. And so you, you had this experience of bringing these companies. Was this the point? You mentioned your trip to India sort of was your operational baptism. Was this bringing in these smaller companies? Is this your, your introduction to venture capital or your venture capital baptism? Was this sort of what got you involved in, in making the transition? Yeah, yeah, I think that's a good point. I hadn't thought about it that way until you just brought it up. Um, but yeah, I mean, I you know I spent some time with a lot of entrepreneurs, a handful at Eclipsis, but this was by far uh, much more hands-on at Premier than I was at Eclipsis mm-hmm. on it. Um, because in the Eclipsis, I was in the corporate development role and kind of handing them off to the operators. Here, I was the operator. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's a fair point. Um, and you got very close with a lot of those folks that are still there. Uh, at Premier, uh, in terms of the folks that had built the businesses, so like you know Lloyd Myers, who built C City over 15 plus years, you know incredibly impressive what he's done, um, and I and I admire that. I admire, and I think it goes right back to the the family roots and sitting at the dinner table, with, you know, a nine and eight year old, and and listening to my stepfather talk about you know his business. Uh, ironically, I was with him this week, and he was telling me a story of about 40 years ago. The guy's 88 years old now, and I was just fascinated by it. I was fascinated by what they had done and i think that just always sticks with me and and uh, hence the transition that's those stories are great we were at a conversation recently with bill link from versant about his creation of amo and just the way that he was charged with building this ophthalmology company and he just did it just kind of dug in and, and got it going hi everyone tom here excuse this interruption but i did want to invite you to participate in our 2017 digital health investment survey our friends at Matchpoint Partners put together this survey to really get the story behind the numbers. So we invite you to take part. We'd love to, to understand how you're looking at the state of digital healthcare innovation, the state of digital health financing, and how you see things moving forward. Please take just a few minutes to uh, participate in the survey. You'll find links to it on the Breaking Health newsletter that we've sent to your inbox. We've also sent it out uh, in another email, and you can also find it on social media channels. We put it up on Twitter and LinkedIn, so it's everywhere. Take a few minutes, provide us your perspectives, and we'll share our answers on November 30th. Again, that is uh, done by our great partners, Matchpoint Partners. Now let's get back into this conversation with Keith Figlioli. I'll have to ask, what kind of company, what kind of company did your stepfather run? So it was a retail outerwear company, out oh, of okay. all things. Wow. So it did things all the way from leather coats to fur coats. And it was all through the Midwest and through the Philadelphia area. Very cool. So obviously a business that kind of peaked and, and then weighed. <laughs> <laughs> luckily, luckily they got out of it after 50-plus years of doing it or 40-plus years of doing it. Yeah, but that's, um, that's frontline small business right there. That's great. So yeah, when, when did you decide uh, 
that you were going to make this transition to VC, and and how did you find your way to uh, to Long River? Sure. So I, um, you know, as part of those lovely operating roles, as a lot of people know, you travel a lot, um, and I was traveling about 200 days a year wow. uh, for the past 10 years or so. So you know, I had my first child. I was over in India uh, after my first child, but while well, my the first year of my um, first child's life, I was in India almost the whole time, and oh, just tough, tough yeah. on the family. And so I think always in the back of my head. Um, you know, I, I always joke with people in Boston. I haven't had a job in Boston in 15 years. Um, and you know, I, I walk around town sometimes people are like, who are you? I'm like, Oh yeah. Oh my gosh. I can't believe what you've done in healthcare. Um, and, uh, you know, I decided a while ago that there was a certain period in time where I kind of wanted to get regrounded in my community. Mm-hmm. And obviously, uh, premier's, uh, IPO was successful. Um, Managed the business for three plus years, you know, put a succession story uh, in place, um, had a sort of the right types of discussions, and and knew that it was time for me to sort of move on to the next thing. Um, and during that process, I have a mentor in town that connected me with uh, Will, Will Cowan, who's one of the partners, uh, the founding partners here at Long River. And Will and I sat down one morning for breakfast, and he told me the story of his life. And it was almost exactly parallel to mine. Interesting. He got to sort of his mid uh, to late 40s, and he went and he said, listen, I've been the CEO and I've run a bunch of businesses like Navinet and a couple of others, Pegasus Systems. And um, I just wanted to, I wanted to step back and I wanted to have kind of a portfolio approach and I knew I wanted to get into venture. And so he and his other partner, Trip Peak, had started uh, Long River Ventures about six years ago. Uh, and I was just enamored by the story. Uh, I had talked to a lot of folks. Um, they're here in town, which was great. Um, and I just really, you know, how this is adventure. You got to really like your partners and we just all hit it off. That's great. So yeah, the mid forties, man, I hear you. I'm 48. <laughs> <laughs> you start hearing voices in your head. Um, mm-hmm. so what do you do there? What, I know you're a venture partner, but, uh, what are you charged with? What kind of uh, deals you're looking for? Sure. So we're, I mean, we're, um, a smaller firm, kind of more like a throwback firm. Uh, that's part of why I like it. I mean, most of the folks here are operators. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Will's obviously an operator, similar background to myself. And we're a bit more hands-on uh, model. And, uh, you know, my venture partner role for the past year is sort of, to be to be brutally honest, about testing it. You know, is it going to work on both sides for the past year? Um, as we got into it the first couple of months, things started working out really well. And uh, it just so happened that we were out um, starting raise our next fund. And so I've been heavily focused on the fundraising uh, as well as on the investing side. So I've been helped invest in, I think, four four companies over the last year. Um, and then we've also uh, been out fundraising. We're uh, looking to bring our next fund up, uh, Long River 4, uh, up uh, right after the first of the year coming up. And then I'll switch over to be a general partner as part of that fund. Oh, terrific. So what what are you looking for? What kind of companies do you want to invest in? Well, I mean, I'll give you examples of what we've invested in. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, one area of my business, even at Premier, I had a big labor business. And so when I first got here, um, spent a lot of time sort of looking at the arbitrage and labor. I mean, the, you know, one of the things that's not talked about enough, in my opinion, is across the space is if you think about the percentage of labor gains in the healthcare space has outpaced every other aspect of our economy in the U.S. and just continues to go, even though we've got this huge push of investments in digital health. And the question becomes, when is this stuff going to start crossing? When is there going to be an impact? 
And so I think any any arbitrage around labor in the healthcare space is a good one and trying to figure out how to disrupt various areas and kind of went on a, a walkabout, if you will, trying to figure out what could we go invest in. I mean, the, the area of business that I had at Premier, we had a big benchmarking business in labor for health systems as well as productivity on the analytical side. Um, but spent some time looking at, actually, out of all things, the per diem nurse staffing market and all around post-acute. I'm a big fan of anything that sits in post-acute or ambulatory just because of where a lot of the care patterns are moving. So um, we dug into that. Um, it's about a, you know, there's a number of different markets. There's the per diem market. There's a locum tenants market on the clinician side as well as nursing. There's the traveling nursing. Um, there's, there's These are huge markets, huge staffing markets. And the per diem market is this massive $4 billion market with all of these 2,200 sort of old school staffing companies that pick up the phone, send emails, do all these various things. Mm-hmm. And the average turnover rate is like 75% at your average SNF. So when you look at SNFs, assisted living, LTC, the turnover is just crazy. The quality is not great at these nursing homes. I think a lot of people would be shocked if they actually dug into some of these figures, let alone putting their parents into some of these places. Mm-hmm. And so um, we found a company after looking at a bunch here in Quincy, Mass, uh, called IntelliCare. And IntelliCare has built a complete tech platform that is almost, in essence, to a crude analogy, uberfied the entire per diem nursing staffing model. Wow. And uh, David Copens is the CEO, um, was one of the senior guys that you promised back in the day with Bronner and crew, uh, and then just left uh, uh, Virgin, uh, Virgin Pulse. And so really interesting business, growing incredibly fast. Um, and, you know, we just think, think the world of these guys. They started a year and a half ago in the Massachusetts market. They now have a 30% share of the market. That's amazing. So, is, that a, is that a growth equity type investment or is it a venture investment? It, it, we actually were first, and, and this is kind of long reverse model, we were first institutional money in. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, they are now uh, growing so rapidly, we're out sort of doing a full-blown Series A with them. And it looks a lot more like, a, to your point of growth equity, almost looks like a Series B uh, mm-hmm. play. Um, so it's it's been an interesting ride with them. But that's that's one area. But I think you know our thesis, we're you know we're we're much more thesis driven folks because of our operating backgrounds. Um, and so you know that's one particular area. I think anything around another thing that doesn't get talked about enough, anything around cost reduction. You know we spend a lot of time obviously with my premier heritage. Um, you know, we spend a lot of time in the cost reduction areas, a lot of things around supply chain um, efficiencies, these labor efficiencies. I think there's just a, there's a huge need out there to think through more upstart businesses that start disrupting some of these areas because they're just not disrupted enough. So the going into this answer, you sort of uh, presented a thesis that had been talked about a few months ago, but that the, is digital health dead? You know, whether or not we weren't seeing the results we needed to, to needed to, and I keep. Harkening back to that, uh, fairly or unfairly, what is your what is your sense of that uh, of that notion? I don't think it's dead. I think we're I, listen. I think we're in the trough, the first trough. And so, what I mean mm-hmm. by that is, I mean you got to look at the you got to look at the catalyst in the market in healthcare. So, you know, I was talking to somebody this morning. And we we're we we're talking about we're in what it felt like pre MU right now. And so, before me use. And I remember these days at Eclipses, everybody was trying to figure out what the catalyst was in the market to actually sell more things. And I think we're right back there right now. Um, when you say pre-MU, I'm sorry, you cut out there for a second. And, no, and I'm just people saying, listen. 
pre-MU, pre-meaningful use in terms of the buying catalyst gotcha. in the market. Mm-hmm. And so what I mean by that is, you know, I, I kind of called this trough about two years ago where I just saw it coming, um, where the market's a lot slower than a lot of people think. But to me, if to use your analogy of dead, let's use a baseball game. I think we're probably in the second inning or so, mm-hmm. or maybe moving into the third. And it's kind of like that time in the baseball game where you're going to grab a beer, <laughs> where things are, <laughs> things are a little slower. Um, I know they sold I, beer at baseball games. Okay. Exactly. But I absolutely think you know we're going to have these ebbs and flows because the healthcare market, as everybody knows, it's all about you know regulatory drivers. Uh, provider system reform. I mean, all these things are going on. And then when we had the shift in administration, things just screeched to a halt. I mean, they changed completely. So we went where Obama was with um, uh, health system reform and massive impact on digital health technologies. I mean, think about all the people that were part of the Obama administration that are out now starting these companies, right? Um, And then we went to sort of the Trump administration, which, you know, we've heard little to nothing about digital health. We've had, you know, now a flip of, of, of HHS. Um, we know that most of the things that are going on from an administration standpoint have everything to do with the tax reform. And anything that impacts the healthcare system is just to ensure that the tax reform can get the relief it can get, no different than the individual mandate that's coming through now on the tax, the first pass of the tax uh, bill. So I think we're just in this kind of lull in the second or third inning. Um, you know, the investment doesn't stop, as, as you probably know the stats very well. Um, you know, that continues to pace just like it did last year. So I think that the other difference in the investor community, in my opinion, is I think people believe now. I mean, I can mm-hmm. remember about early stage companies back when I was at Eclipsis. I was thinking about leaving Eclipsis once and I was going to start a company. And you couldn't find a venture capitalist to talk to. I mean, that's the most fascinating thing about Long River. They've been doing digital health investment. It was even called that. It was called healthcare IT investing. 16 years ago, I mean, Will, I mean, Will Talon was doing this 16 years ago. Nobody would pick up a phone call back then. Uh, and so, you know, these guys were first investors in GetWell Networks. They were first investors in Freesia, first investors in LifeImage, first investors mm-hmm. in Medventive. I mean, these are logos that actually built big businesses and actually, you know, had good returns. Um, but I, I, I don't think it's I am on the positive side of that. I just think we're in a little bit of a lull, even though the investment dollars keep going in. But I do think the hold times are going to be longer. You know, no different than I saw a report this morning on overall PE, the hold times are getting longer. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the, the the venture hold times are going to get longer, specifically in this industry, because this is a long industry. It's healthcare. I mean, yep. look at medtech, look at biotech. It's it's all been, It's always been longer. So welcome to the party, people. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and I've taken a lot of your time. Just uh, you're going to be uh, moderating a panel at the uh, Digital Healthcare Innovation Summit on November 30th. Uh, where does innovation fit into the future of healthcare finance? Just take a, a minute. Tell us a bit about uh, about that discussion. Sure. So um, you know, Bill Gary and myself talked uh, over the last year or so about putting together really an interesting panel with provider CFOs. Um, and so we have the CFO from St. Luke's, uh, Boston Children's, and Alina. Um, and I think it's just going to be a really interesting discussion. We're going to talk a lot about some of the stuff that we talked about, which is first the macro points about what's really happening out there, what's what's keeping them up at night, um, given what's going on, and, and also talk specifically about value-based care and where their mindsets are and where their health systems minds are. And then flipping that around and given the cost pressures and given where margin profiles have been going for the healthcare providers, what are they doing around innovation? What do they have to do? What new revenue streams do they have to find? So I'm actually really excited for it. Um, 
all three CIFOs are, are great guys and have great positions and points of view. And so I think, uh, you know, the folks are in for a treat. Excellent. Well, we appreciate your uh, your help with that. And uh, I really enjoyed uh, this conversation. I look forward to talking to you again in the future about uh, your, your, your deals from the new fund. Sounds good. Well, thanks for the opportunity. All right. Well, that is a wrap, everyone. Keith Figlioli, thank you for joining us on the Breaking Health Podcast. Congratulations on finding a new home at Long River. And I look forward to uh, following your financings going forward. Thank you, Breaking Health Podcast listeners, for joining us this week. It's great to have you here. We do hope we'll see you on November 30th in Boston at the Digital Healthcare Innovation Summit. We also hope you will participate in our Digital Healthcare Investment Survey put together by our partners at MatchPoint. Just take a few minutes and we'll share the results at the Digital Healthcare Innovation Summit. Finally, of course, uh, do a few favors for the podcast. Uh, Just uh, give us a ranking on iTunes. Tell your friends. And, of course, email me at tom at healthedg.com. That is the word health, followed by letters E-G-Y.com. We'd love to hear your thoughts on the podcast, on the conference, and anything else in particular. All right, folks. Tune in next week for another tale of innovation. Steve Krupa will be back. He's got a great one. So we hope you'll be uh, tuning in. And have a great Thanksgiving.